Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Welcome back into Extra Innings right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is a senior writer for MLB Pipeline at MLB.com. It's Jim Callis, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB. And uh, he is one of my favorite follows on Twitter if you're big into prospects, if you're big into the Major League Baseball draft. And Jim, really appreciate you joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well, doing well, and Jim, I, I can only imagine this time of year is crazy for you because we've got the Major League Baseball draft about a month away, we've got the NCAA baseball tournament going on right now, it's the end of the prep season across you know high school baseball, there's so many names being thrown out there right now in terms of, of the Major League Baseball draft, uh, how crazy is your work schedule these days? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot going on, I mean, the, the nice thing is I, I really enjoy it. Um, so I, I still, after all these years, like really enjoy the draft. I, you know, you mentioned, you know, as we're recording this, this, this morning, I, I'm looking forward to watching, you know, regional championship games today, which I think start in maybe an hour or so from when we're recording this. So now there, there's a lot going on, but it, it, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Uh, so with, as you mentioned, we're at the regional final stage of the NCAA tournament, Super Regionals coming up, College World Series. Which players have you been watching the closest over the last few days uh, as the NCAA baseball tournament kind of unfolds? Well, kind of kind of two two ways. Like, you, you look at the top guys, and, you know, Paul Skeens is the best pitching prospect this year and maybe the best draft pitching prospect, Stephen Strasburg, who was the best ever. And, like, I mean, I knew he was going to probably roll over to Lane, um, and he did. He threw a complete game. He averaged 99 miles an hour. He threw 88 fastballs. And, you know, so I'm watching guys like that. You know, guys like Kyle Steele at Virginia is the best catching prospect in the draft. He had a big weekend as Virginia swept their regional, um, and he's continued to build. You know, this is a guy who didn't really hit a whole lot as a sophomore, was a really good defender, and he continues to rake. And then I, I also find myself kind of focusing on the sleepers, Um one is really first round picks, but guys who come up, you know, Jonathan Mayo and I at MLB.com, we split the, the country in half for draft purposes. And so in my half of the country, there's like sleepers and like Oral Roberts is a team that kind of fascinates me a little bit. I, I think they have a 19 or 21 game winning streak, the longest winning streak in the country right now. They just became the, I think, eighth number four seed. These, these regionals are four team seeds, so that's the bottom seed, the eighth number four seed to advance out of a regional. And they swept, and they have two really interesting guys. They have a guy named Jonah Cox, who's an outfielder, who had a big weekend, and he extended his hitting streak to 44 games, which is the fourth longest in NCAA Division I history. And he's a legit prospect, like, like a middle-round guy. Like I see him going around the fifth round because he's a center fielder with well above average speed. He's got hitting ability. He's got big league bloodlines. His dad, Darren, played in the big leagues a little bit. And then the MVP of that regional was another guy in Oral Roberts, right here named Kate Denton who's got a you know, mid-90s fastball and pretty solid slider, and he pitched in all three games. He's a reliever. And I think he could go in the fifth round. So it was kind of, I guess, reinforcing my belief in those guys, um, you know, that they, they played well in a regional and when the stakes were the highest. So I, I kind of 
you know, it, it's it's crazy now too with the coverage. You know, when I started doing this stuff thirty something years ago, we were lucky if we had one game on ESPN. You know, <laughs> you could watch, and now now you have like uh, I even forget what it was called, Squeeze Play or whatever they call. It, where you can, you know, they take you from game to game to game. Sometimes they have six games on the screen at once. It's almost it, it's almost overwhelming, but I, I try to keep an eye on as much of it as I can. And, and like I said, I think we've got five, four winner-take-all games today, and then two regionals that were backed up by range. We have a championship game, and then, you know, I guess they play a second game if, if the team that has one loss wins. So I will be watching, you know, probably six, keeping an eye on six to eight regional championship games today. I, I love it. Oh, as a fellow baseball sicko myself, Jim, I, I love it too. I always got it uh, up on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Jim, the Mariners, they have picks 22, 29, and 30 in the first round this season. Uh, how would you rate the depth of this draft class, especially for a team like the M's picking at the back half of the first round? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like an average draft. I, I thought the draft was going to be a little bit better coming into the year, and the pitching really hasn't materialized. Like There just is not depth of college pitching. Um, so I don't think it's as, as deep or, or quite as good as I thought, but it, it's always good to have multiple picks. And, you know, they pick 22. They, you know, not only do they pick 29 and 30, they have a second pick before anybody picks a second time, and they have a third pick before anybody picks a second time. And they've got a $13-plus million bonus pool. So they could do a lot of interesting things down there. Now, you know, it's still early enough. You know, the draft isn't – it's a little bit more than a month away, and it's obviously going to be in Seattle this year too. Um, to know exactly who's going to be there or who, like, if they exert their financial might, you know, maybe they can you – know, maybe they have two guys they like who are going to be on the board at 22, and you take one, and you, you kind of offer the guy extra money and slide him past the next few teams until you pick again. Um, but the, like I said, I, I think – I thought it was going to be a little bit better draft. And I think the teams feel that way, but at the same time, like the Mariners, any team would be thrilled to have three of the top 30 picks because you're going to get three pretty good players there. And speaking of those three picks, who are some names you think Mariners fans should keep an eye on when they're making their selections? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the caveat is a lot of it's good. Like when you pick 22, you know, like, like the team's draft boards all look, different like like this year there's kind of since the top five and then there's maybe six or seven guys i think most teams would agree on and then it's all over the place so like when the mayor's picking 22 they might have a guy who's 13th on their board who they like more than other teams who, who gets there so this like when, when we're doing mock drafts it's probably somebody i have going ahead of them that's going to fall to them but like in my last mock draft i had him taking a kid named brain taylor out of tcu and he's another guy who's had a very good regional he was big 12 conference tournament mvp Hits for power, hits for average, chance to be a pretty good third baseman. Um, so that's who I projected them to go at 22. Um, again, you know, probably somebody I had going ahead of them will, will fall to him. Maybe that'll be the guy. Like, you know, they've taken high school hitters the last couple drafts in the first round, uh, you know, with Harry Ford and, and Cole Young, you know, and then they obviously did a couple years ago with Jerry Kelnick. And I think they're in an area of the draft where there's going to be a lot of high school hitters kind of going. Um, there, there's Bryce Eldridge, who's a two-way player from Virginia, who guys like more as a hitter. There's high school shortstops like uh, Colt Emerson from Ohio, Kevin McGonigal from Pennsylvania, Walker Martin from Colorado are all interesting. There, there's a, a high school 
catcher who he's more of a hitter than a catcher. He might not stay a catcher, but a kid named Ralphie Velasquez from California who's pretty interesting. Um, I can kind of see all those guys you know, being in their mix. And, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the secret. When you're doing mock drafts this early, I mean, I, I try to source stuff, but nobody really knows who's going 22. So at that point in the draft, this far in advance, we're more speculating than anybody has inside information that, oh, like the Mariners really hope Harry Ford gets to him type of thing. So, um, but yeah, those are some names that could be in play. I don't think it'll be, I know they've had a lot of success with college pitchers. I don't think it's going to be a college pitcher just because I think there's only, I think there's only four college pitchers who are going to go in the first round. And I think they're all going to go, two of them are going to go, three of them might go in the top 10 and and the fourth one's going to go before it gets to the Mariners. So I, I, I would at this point feel confident saying, I don't think it'll be a college pitcher. Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline joining us here on Extra Innings. And, Jim, uh, we saw Brian Wu make his debut on Saturday for the Mariners, uh, a top five, top six prospect in the Mariners system. Another uh, talented young arm that they have debuted. It's been you know one after another over the last couple of years here in Seattle, but he got roughed up in his debut against the Texas Rangers. Not a soft landing spot for him by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, what do you think his ceiling could be as a starter at the big league level right now, or is, is he somebody that may need a little more time in the minors? Um, yeah, you could argue it both ways. You know, he, he was a six-round pick. You know, he had Tommy John surgery. So he's only pitched 101 innings in the minors. You know, he pitched some in the fall league. I saw him in the fall league. But, you know, he's got like a mid-90s fastball with, with good life to it. You know, slider, changeup, throws strikes. Um, you know, didn't pitch a lot in college either, to be honest, because he got hurt. Um, you know, it, it's a good athletic delivery. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is, he throws strikes, you know, and I think we saw, I mean, reading, not trying to read too much into a two-inning major league debut, he threw strikes in his debut, but he didn't locate the ball as well as he needs to, and he gave up seven hits in two innings. And I think that's kind of the, I mean, you could honestly say that about most young pitchers as they need to improve their command, it's kind of the final step. Um, and I think just because of his inexperience, um, because he had Tommy John in college, like he has less experience on the mound than your typical 23-year-old. So that, that's probably what he needs to do. But, like, he, he's a real interesting arm. It, it, it's good stuff. He is Jim Callis. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Jim Callis MLB. He is a senior writer for MLB Pipeline and MLB.com, and we'll have plenty of draft coverage for you heading into next month's draft. Jim, really appreciate you carving out some time today. I'll let you get back to your very busy schedule. And uh, thanks again for coming on with us. Yeah, no, I know. Glad to talk to you. It's, uh, like you said, it's an exciting time of year, a lot going on, and uh, I'm looking forward to coming up your way for the draft in, in just about a month. Big thanks to Jim Callis for making some time here on this Monday evening. Around the break, Jerry DePoto stopped by Trident Talkie, visited with Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, talking about what he hopes to see from this team as they try to break out of the slump, the funk that they have been in over the last week or so. Let's take a listen to what GM Jerry DePoto had to say yesterday. That comes your way on the other side of this break. Curtis Rogers with you on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You are listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Still to come in this hour, Jason Churchill, a prospect insider. He stopped by Bump and Stacey today. He's talked with Bump and myself about this Mariners team, where they are after this road trip against the Texas Rangers, Padres coming up tomorrow, and also 
Just a question of, is control the zone still working? Because I think that is a big talking point right now amongst Mariners fans. Is that mantra still one that rings true in 2023, considering the woes of the Mariners' offense so far this season? We asked Jason that question. You'll hear that interview coming up in about 15 minutes from now. But up next, Jerry DePoto, as he does each and every week, does the Wheelhouse podcast. Hosts Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Get Jerry's thoughts on Julio Rodriguez becoming American League Player of the Week last week, and then also his thoughts on Cal Raleigh and the season that he has had so far. Uh, he looks so much more comfortable in the batter's box. He, it's a, you can just see it's he's relaxed. His posture has improved, and it's not just picking better pitches to swing at. He's executing better swings. When he was going through his his struggle, and, and remember, he had a phenomenal spring training. The first week or ten days of the season, he looked like Julio, and, and then he just got cold. And and when he got cold, he started to press. And you do things when you're when you're pressing, when you're trying to find it that you just don't typically do. And he was carving the strike zone you know the, the the plane of his bat was tilted and you saw him really trying to get inside pitches and he couldn't stay inside it and I thought a, a turning point when it started to, to to move in the right direction was when we were in Detroit you know he, he he actually did stay inside a ball he's still swinging at bat pitches but he stayed inside a ball he looked more like himself and then the, this entire homestand beginning with the with the series with Oakland Everything was just a laser, and he stayed inside the ball, which is, you know, when you talk to the best hitters in the world, that's the first thing they're going to tell you. you got to keep your hands inside the ball. I was looking at some of the numbers on this homestand for Julio, and he has put 16 balls in play in this homestand over 100. It's a short amount of time, and, of course, the numbers are off the charts and the production of that. But I was thinking about... Even the guys that are capable of doing that in a given homestand. A judge is here. He's certainly one of them. But it feels like a pretty short list of guys, of the elite guys that can do that sort of thing. Probably. You know, there aren't many alive. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly not one of them that can give you a, it's the insight into what that feels like. But there probably aren't too many guys that in the middle of May can just decide, all right, I'm going to add 40 points to my batting average. Yeah. You know, it's, and he did that. And I, I think we look up and the season in aggregate, you blink and he's on pace for about a five and a half win season, which is pretty unbelievable considering, you know, the 30 day malaise that he just went through. And it's he still remains good on the bases he still did his thing in center field with defense and and he never lost his smile he was getting frustrated but but he kept coming you know he kept coming to work he's been putting in extra time with his hitting coach and and getting down there truly getting after it and and you can see the look on his face now he's got his swag back Mm. he knows he's he's back to doing the things he does to affect the game in all his different ways it's funny even leading up to this homestand the thing that really stuck out to me too is when he hit the ball 95 plus hard hit ball he had the second lowest batting average in baseball you knew that was going to turn around how much of this was just bad luck along the ways too you know, when when you get elite players that go through elongated slumps, there's almost always, you know, bad luck associated with it on both sides, with the pitcher as well. It's, mm. you know, you get the, you get babbipped, you, you're hitting the ball hard, it's at people. You know, where it really starts to twist out of control is what happened to Julio, is when you start to try to do things to combat the bad luck. And now you're trying to hit the ball 150 miles an hour. You're, now you're trying to hit it over the bullpen. It's You don't get extra credit for the 700-foot home. It's still a run. But as a player, you're trying to combat the luck by, by doing different 
things physically, and that's how you get into funks, and that's where he found himself. As a coaching staff, how much of the job is to keeping a guy on track when they're doing things right, when everything is going well under the hood, they're just not seeing results and just trying to keep them doing that instead of veering off. It's really hard. You know, a, a great example on our present club is Matt Brash. For, for a number of weeks, Matt, I, I don't know that you could be more snake bit than Matt Brash has been for most of the season to date. You know, absurdly poor luck with the batted ball. And, you know, his stuff is as good as it's ever been. His command is better than it's ever been you know his strikeout rate is otherworldly and 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 somehow the league hits about 600 when they put the ball in play on him and that starts to eat at a player and now you try to do things and i think the you know the tip of that mountain for matt was when we were in detroit he just started to try to do things in a difficult situation to avoid the contact Mm. and if you're avoiding the contact you're not going to be very good pitcher if similarly for for julio or a hitter in, in a slump like that if what you're now trying to do is hit it away from fielders if what you're trying to do is hit it harder or longer now you're changing what you do physically and when you change what you do physically the game just changed. Now you're no longer the same player that the, that same relaxed, snap, athletic, you know, impact player that you've been is just goes away. You can't play the game tense. And no matter, and I, maybe Ty Cobb could do it. I don't think you could direct the ball toward open space, you know, <laughs> and, and while hitting it hard against the kind of stuff that's coming out of the hands of these pitchers. Oh, you mean you can't aim the baseball? <laughs> it <laughs> seems hard. I thought you could just say, I want to hit it over there. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I'm, oh, we're not going to have our second anthem rehearsal. This is our second straight wheelhouse with the anthem rehearsal. Yeah, we just on. plowed through that. Just plowed through. I feel like last time we did the disclaimer, yeah. so I think it's fair. that covers all wheelhouses. That covers episodes. all wheelhouses. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to episode 82. Uh, Gare, I, I liked your point on the um, the balls and play at 100 plus in the homestand. Yes. Uh, two things. First of all, for those who don't recall, we have our own... Uh, hard hit scale. Yes, we do. Uh, which I do think this is a proper time yes. to re-educate. Um, Excellent. Unlike our disclaimer for the anthem, this needs to be brought out often. Yes. Uh, so there's the hard hit, which is standard. Uh, stat cast degrees, 95 miles an hour off the bat or more. There is the extremely hard hit. <laughs> we, I will admit, Gary and I did go back and forth for some time on what to name the middle ground. Extremely hard hit is uh-huh. a ball at 100 plus. Okay. And then our personal favorite, the ultra hard hit which is 110 that's the best of the best okay that's seal team six that's you, you can't you're a short list if you're on that uh since the start of the homestand gear julio 16 balls in play at 100 plus or extremely hard uh-huh. hit leads baseball yeah uh second these are some fun names second is acuna 13 yeah third wait till you hear who else is on this list austin riley a dozen fourth Aaron Judge and J.D. Martinez. So, I mean, like, oh, and J.P. Crawford's and 11. J.P. Crawford. Yeah. How about that? Your shortstop can pull the baseball now, Jerry. Well, I will say this about J.P. He gives us what we need in a moment. If we need the nine hitter who gets on base, he's that guy. If we need the leadoff hitter to step in and, and kind of calm the water, he's done that periodically for years now. He just elevates to the top and he finds a way. But when JT, JP finds that that stroke, he'll go through a 30-day stretch, you know, where he looks like he's got the whole package of skills. It's the, it's the gaps. It's the over-the-fence power. He's taking his walk. And right now, 
now he's in that groove. You know, you can tell when JP, when the swing gets big for him and he starts feeling it, it's usually going to be a fun month in, in JP world. And it typically happens right about this time of year for him when the weather starts to warm and the ball jumps a little bit. And, and, uh, and then you'll see him try to pull the ball more. And, and, you know, nobody stays hot forever. And when it's time to go back and, and start hitting the ball, spraying it around the field, high contact, you know, it might take a little time to adjust, but he'll get back to that too. And it's uh, the thing that I've enjoyed most is he's been ultra consistent defensively. But the fact that he hits the ball like Ronald Acuna and, and Aaron Judge, <laughs> yeah, that's good too. <laughs> I mean, when you take his season on a whole, and I know he had a great month to start last year, but this feels like the best version of JP we've seen for an extended period of time. You know, I, I said this last week. In so many ways, like JP's vibe, our team kind of flows through JP in some way. And it doesn't matter if he's sitting ninth or leading off. And it doesn't mean that he's our best player uh, on a given day. There's just a way that he goes about playing, uh, you know, a swag that he has on the field that when he starts vibing, the rest of the group vibes with him. And, you know, I think when we're at our best, he is oftentimes right in the middle of it. And sometimes it's a walk and sometimes it's, a, it's, it's the crazy play in the hole that he turns and he makes he has the ability to flip the key or change the script for our team in a way that not a lot of players do yeah. even players who can go impact the game by hitting you know big homers and 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 doing more marquee type things he does the little thing and i think his teammates recognize it and it creates a lot of energy in the game We've been really taken by uh, Cal Raleigh this month and how he has cut the swing and miss down. Strikeout rate in April was, I mean, it's high for the whole team, but for Cal, it was in the low 30s, striking out roughly a third of the time. And this month, he's right around 20%. And I think we all just kind of assumed that hey, uh, swinging and missing, walking and hitting home runs are like he's a three true outcome guy. And for what he does behind the plate, if he can bomb and walk slightly above league average, if not league average, like that's a really good player. And he's shown us at least for a month that he can really shorten that thing up and become more of a hitter. What have you seen from Cal Raleigh? On that note, I heard a, a scout from an opposing team mention this in the spring. Cal doesn't get enough credit for the, the bat to ball, his hitting skill, you know, he, and from both sides of the plate, he's not really tapped into just how good a hitter he can be, but the three true outcomes are always there. He does walk, he does hit bombs and, and, among our players that have grown up in our system, Cal is probably the guy that is most likely to identify an area where he thinks he can get better or he thinks he should get better and then work on that thing. And, I, and he does it rather, just like he does everything else, he does it rather quietly. You know, it's, he's not super expressive. He's probably not going to go find six coaches to help him with something. But that kind of transition doesn't – you can't pretend – to get that much better at something in such a short time. And maybe it's, it's, a, it's a, a short-term improvement, but my guess is somewhere between that number and, and what he was doing in April or what he was doing in 2021, it's an area that he wants to work on, and you're seeing it today. He's just getting better at it. When you look at Cal and what he's done so far this season, he's top five in F4 for catchers in baseball, which is a great place to be. Yet, tell me if... You think that's right? It feels like we have not seen the best of Cal yet this season. I don't think we've seen the best of Cal yet, period. You know, and, and he this is a guy who led, you know, all major league catchers in home runs last year and, and had about a, I think a four and a half win season in twenty twenty two. 
Cal is evolving. You know, he's young players get better. I think one of the things that that we're watching this homestand, particularly, he's getting more opportunities to hit right-handed. We're getting him in there as as a more frequent DH. Um, he was pretty banged up from you know middle of April until the middle of May with a series of small little bothersome issues from from thumbs and it's the things that happen to catchers yeah. who catch regularly in our game and and he just keeps on playing right through it and and sometimes when when you see Cal go through the the six or eight game stretch where the the strikeouts do pile up or you know he needs an extra blow he wants to play every day and if he needs that little blow he's probably telling you there I'm playing through something that I'm just not telling you about he is a throwback, old-time tough guy who really wants to play as frequently as you can get him in there. And I, and I think, and, and I've heard Cal say this, you know, he believes that he is a better hitter, an overall better hitter, when he gets to hit from both sides of the plate, that it creates balance in his swing. And because this is the healthiest he's been all year long, now he's getting an opportunity to hit right-handed more, either as a DH or behind the plate. And, and, and that seems to have really done a lot for his overall offensive game and and if it's that easy i i I vote we just let him hit all the time (laughs) because he is he's been a driver for us a little more than a half hour to go here on extra innings when we return jason churchill of prospect insider joined myself and michael bumpus earlier today on seattle sports we'll dive into that conversation around the break here on seattle sports the mariners radio network you're listening to extra innings inside the mariners on the home of the mariners seattle sports Questions abound about this Mariners ball club following a really tough series loss against the Texas Rangers swept in the hands of Texas. Plenty of questions for Jason Churchill, a prospect insider, to answer earlier today with myself and Michael Bumpus on Bump and Stacy. We first start off by asking, how big is the gap between the Mariners and some of the American League's best teams like Texas and the New York Yankees? I think the gap in the rosters is minimal at best. What, what's happening right now is Texas has things going in all directions. Things are just rolling. Things are working. Kind of like Seattle in the middle of last year when they turned it on in June. They were just a pretty consistent, solid team pretty much night in and night out. It looked a little different. Seattle got it done more with pitching. Texas scores a bunch of runs. And then you get Seattle coming into Texas with nothing really clicking, and then in games two and games three of the series, they don't even get their foundational production, which is the starting rotation does its job. At games two and game three, that didn't happen. That's going to spin things out of control if you're the Mariners at this point. Jason, a lot has been made, you know, the discourse around the Mariners about control of the zone. Uh, you know, that's been their philosophy really since Jerry Depoto and Scott Service came to Seattle. But right now, the strikeout numbers are, are way up for this Mariners offense. Uh, what is it? Four of the top five in the American League are, are Mariners. It's Julio, Teoscar, Kelnick, and Gino. Is it working? Is control the zone still working? Is this can it work in twenty twenty three? Yeah, I saw that stat too. It's it's a little bit deceiving. I'm not going to disagree that that the you know making contact has been a problem for the Seattle Mariners this year. But when you see that statistic and they use raw numbers of strikeouts, it's going to give you. Uh, it's going to give you some things that aren't necessarily true. Yeah, Teoscar Hernandez is fifth in the American League in strikeout rate. Uh, Jared Kelnick is sixth. But I noticed Tulio Rodriguez and Eugenio Suarez on that list, too, as in that they strike out, you know, in the top five in the league. Uh, that's not really true. Suarez is way down at 24, I believe, 
uh, the 24th highest strikeout rate, and Julio Rodriguez is at 29. So including Suarez and Rodriguez in this conversation is a little much, but as a team, yeah, there's no other way to look at it. You know, and, and this whole control the zone thing, for me, that's the, the, the philosophy of that is fine. But when you go out and you feel like you don't have a choice but to acquire players that don't necessarily fit that mantra, like, say, Oscar Hernandez, like Eugenio Suarez, because the guys that do fit that mantra, you can't acquire for whatever reason. They're not available. They're going to cost $300 million. You're not really ditching your control of zone mantra. And the thing is, it's just that, hey, we're going to teach our young kids this. We're going to draft players and teach them this as best we can. But you can't acquire a 30-year-old like Eugenio Suarez in trade. You can't acquire Teo, and then all of a sudden like change them as hitters. Like That was never going to happen. This was always going to be you know, like a top-10 strikeout team in the league, pretty much what they were a year ago. We were hoping Colton Wong would come in, and, and his strikeout rate is below league average, so it's better than league average. But he's not able to play every day because he's not producing. So some of the things that they're trying to do with this whole control the zone thing just haven't worked, and they've been stuck kind of going to the guys that do strike out more because at this point the Mariners are a three-true outcome offensive team. They're going to hit a home run, which they're not doing a lot of right now. They're going to walk, which they're doing plenty of right now. Or they're going to strike out, which they're doing far too much of right now. And it's obviously a problem with consistency. Jason, when we started this season – we knew the strength of this team was going to be the pitching staff, right? Especially the starting rotation. Um, and then some things happen. You lose Robbie. Um, Marco's out. We'll see how long that lasts. You lost Munoz out the bullpen. When you look at this group, who they are right now, do you still consider them one of the strongest pitching staffs in the game? Yeah, I do. And it, and it does sound like they're going to get both Penn Murphy and Andres Munoz back at some point pretty soon. But yeah, that rotation took a little bit of a hit in terms of reliability. Now we saw Bryce Miller, what, five, uh, his first five starts were amazing. I think Brian Wu, if they continue to give him chances, will be fine and probably could pitch, you know, to a Marco Gonzalez kind of level. The thing with Brian Wu is I'm not sure how many innings he has left this season. He only threw 57 innings a year ago. And he came, when he came up for the minors, he already had 44 in this season. So that might have been a short-term answer anyway. They might have to go out on the market and grab a back-end starter if Marco Gonzalez indeed does have to miss some time. But, yeah, this is absolutely the strength. This is the foundation. The pitching staff, that starting rotation, is the foundation of this roster. You get Luis Castillo at the top. You get Logan Gilbert. You get George Kirby. It was Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez, Chris Flexen. Now it's Bryce Miller, and maybe Marco Gonzalez comes back. Maybe it's Chris Flexen again. Maybe it's Brian Wu. Maybe it's Emerson Hancock. Maybe it's somebody that's pitching for another team right now. But that absolutely is the foundation of this team. And when it doesn't do well and it doesn't give you a chance to win, you're going to lose those games with this club right now. Jason, uh, Brian Wu made his Major League debut over the weekend, didn't go so hot for him. You're very familiar with his minor league career. What's it look like with Brian Wu when he is on? And what what should Mariners fans be looking for uh, when he is at his very best? Yeah, I think you see the fastball value there. When he lives on the edges at 93 to 98 miles an hour, the fastball is tough to hit. It's not quite Bryce Miller fastball value, but I think it's probably up there with Logan Gilbert and maybe George Kirby. We saw a lot of – it caught a lot of the plate. I mean, that was pretty clear. Even when you're down in the zone, if you catch the middle of the plate, there's a good chance it's going to get hit, and it's going to get hit hard, and that's what happened to Brian Wu over the weekend. Uh, He's a guy who has a slider and a changeup. He likes his changeup 
a little bit more than he does his slider. But that breaking ball, like you can't really be in Major League Baseball these days a fastball-only guy or even a fastball change-up guy. You need something that's crooked. You need some, you need some kind of a wrinkle. You need a curveball or a slider. So he's going to have to become more comfortable with that slider. But he was put into a pretty tough situation kind of at the last second. This wasn't the plan. You know, Marco Gonzalez, you know, has the forearm issue. They called Brian Wolf kind of at the last second. Uh, the tough thing about watching these guys in the minors is, you know, you get – whether you're watching them live or you're watching them on, on television, you get this idea, okay, here's how he likes to work. But then they get to the majors and they work differently because they're facing major league hitters and they're not trying to work on stuff anymore. They're trying to get big league hitters out. So Brian Wu right now is mostly just a fastball guy and that's going to be a problem at the major league level. So he probably needs to go back down to the minors, work on the slider more, work on the changeup more, and maybe he's someone who can help again you know, over the middle of the season. But the problem is... What's going on with Marco Gonzalez? Do they want to give Chris Flexen another shot on the rotation? Do they want to go back to a Tommy Malone or a Darren McCacken from down in the minors or go out and acquire someone? It's a pretty tough situation right now for the Mariners in that back end of the rotation. Um, another one about Wu, he just, he, his innings totals in the minors and in college, he just doesn't have a ton uh, to his name. Is, this, is that something that should factor into a pitcher's success at the big league level is minor league experience or is that just if you've got the stuff you can hang at the big league level yeah i don't think it's so much about like whether you know it it suggests whether he can have success we've seen pitchers come up you know i mean tim linsigan was in the minors for about 10 minutes guys like if you can pitch you can pitch and and starting pitching is the easiest thing to project to the big leagues that's why it's the safe the college pitching is the safest thing to take early in the draft because it's so much easier to project Logan Gilbert, Bryce Miller. We've seen these guys, you know, George Kirby coming up Uh, with Brian Wu. It's the innings thing with Wu is how much workload can he actually take on this year? So when I look at those 57 innings as a career high last year and the very few innings he threw in college and the fact that he missed a bunch of time and he started last season really, really late, it's really just about, I don't know. Look, he's at almost 50 innings for the year, big leagues and minors he can't just sit in that rotation every fifth or sixth day the rest of the way. He'll end up with 130 or 140 innings, and I can't imagine the Mariners are going to let him pitch that much. So I think something else is going to have to happen here, even if Brian Wu pitches well at the back of that rotation. Jason, as you know, I have a, a football background, and whenever teams are struggling that I coached or played for, there are things that we can do in-game and maybe preparing for the next game uh, to help us have more success. I look at baseball, I don't see too many things that they can do. We know how the Mariners want to play this game. Obviously good pitching. They want to hit the ball hard, hit it far, and drive runs in that way. Have you heard of a team kind of switching up their approach in the middle of the season? And is that something that you think the Mariners would even consider? These are things that take time. Um, this is something I've talked about on, on baseball things quite a bit. Like things in baseball take time. Like this isn't a halftime adjustment. You know, you get to, which might be a myth anyway in, in football. You tell me, but like, you yeah, know, you is. go into halftime and see Carol's like, wait, what we're doing isn't working. Let's switch it up and do this. And all of a sudden here comes the magic. I mean, that absolutely doesn't happen in baseball. It takes time. It takes time for a player to identify an adjustment that will work for him and then put it in play 
in games. It takes time for a pitcher to change his mechanics or change the way he's throwing a pitch or change his approach to uh, attacking hitters with runners on base, for example. It takes time, and, and it's not two games or five games or ten games. It may not even be 20 or 25 or 30 games. So the thing with the Mariners right now is I don't think it's their approach, their attack plan. I just think they have players who are going to swing and miss a lot. That's not going to change. Some of those players have to swing and miss a little less. They have to end there at bat, putting the ball in play a little bit more. But the biggest thing is, guys, when you go down and you look at Eugenio Suarez's numbers, you look at Teoscar Hernandez's numbers, and to a little bit of a lesser extent, you look at Julio Rodriguez's numbers, they're nowhere near what they should be. Like, let's just let's leave Julio out of this for a second. If I told you that Teoscar Hernandez was a league average hitter right now, and Eugenio Suarez was a league average hitter right now, we'd be floored because they're not. They're nowhere near that. I'm not even talking about B20, 25, 30% better than average like both of those hitters were a year ago. But just think of those two hitters being league average right now and the difference that makes to this lineup, the consistency. Instead of going out there and getting beat 5-2, to two, maybe they win that game 6-5. Or instead of losing 2-1, to one, maybe they win that game 3-2. to two. The indirect impact that a hitter has having success at the plate one extra time a game is astronomical but we get back to the 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 fact that this takes time in major league baseball but those two guys are the key to the rest of the Mariners season it's not julio it's not jared kelnick it's not the pitching staff it's not a trade you cannot fix this team with trades this season eugenio suarez and teoscar hernandez have to do better they have to be better they have to be much closer to what they were a year ago from here on out for this offense to turn around and for the Mariners season to be meaningful those two guys are the key to it all you can check out that full conversation with Jason Churchill on the podcast page at seattlesports.com make sure you're rating reviewing and subscribing to every single podcast we've got offered to you the Seattle Sports app is where you can download this edition of extra innings as well as all previous editions of extra innings Coming up, we take a look at some of the biggest headlines in baseball, including an AL West contender placing their ace on the 60-day IL. We'll be diving into that and more with a round of pepper to finish out Extra Innings tonight. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Welcome back in. Really appreciate you making Extra Innings a part of your Monday night here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. Mariners taking on the Padres tomorrow in the two-game series, a very short two-game series between these two teams. And the Vetter Cup, it's on the line, that's right. The most made-up trophy in all of sports. <laughs> Let's check in on how the Padres are doing right now. And... Uh, It's not going well for them either. Juan Soto, superstar for the San Diego Padres, who has been playing a lot better as of late, got that OPS right at about 900 uh, after getting off to a really slow start with the Padres earlier this season. He was asked just why the team is not performing consistently. This was following Sunday's game against against the Yankees. Here is Soto's answer. I don't think I'm the guy who responded to the question. You know, I think we have uh, those guys down there. They know better than me. I don't know. I really don't know what is going on. Uh, we have such a great team. Uh, but I don't know. It is. Uh, I just don't know what is the answer to that question. 
Juan Soto basically saying, I'm not the guy to ask, all right? I've been the one doing my job each and every day. You look at guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., They've he has been doing okay since returning from the suspended list. I would say that the bulk of the Padres' woes can be pinpointed on a couple of guys. Obviously, Manny Machado is the one that sticks out looking at their production. Machado with an OPS of just 628 this season, a 222 batting average, only five home runs. This guy was incredible last season for the Padres, had an OPS near 900. In fact, he did sign that big extension with San Diego after opting out of last uh, after last season. So he's going to be due, what, in, in the year 2033, a $39 million salary that year when he's 40 years old. Uh, he's only hitting 628 right now in terms of his OPS. Uh, he is to blame. Xander Bogarts has been dealing with injuries. Uh, he said he will not be taking a cortisone shot until after the All-Star break uh, just because of where he's at right now in his uh, sort of recovery. You look at Jake Cronenworth, who has historically been a, a very solid hitter in that Padres lineup. In fact, uh, he hit 285 his rookie season in 2020. 266 was an All-Star in 2021. He was an All-Star last year. Uh, hitting just 239, though. He's had an on-base percentage around 330-340 his entire career, uh, but his numbers have taken a dip over this season, just batting 200 right now with a 673 OPS. This, this Padres team has been a big disappointment in the National League. If you want to feel better uh, about where the Mariners are as a team, Look no further than Austin Nola's numbers. Austin Nola, if you recall, was the piece that the Mariners gave up to the Padres and in return received Andres Munoz, Ty France, Taylor Trammell, and one other guy in that trade. Uh, uh, God, why is it? Why am I blanking on, on who the fourth guy was? It was Luis Torrens, that's who, because he's not a Mariner anymore, but... Uh, yeah, I think the Mariners can safely say they won that trade because Austin Nola right now hitting a buck thirty-one, a two forty-four on base percentage, a four twenty-one OPS. He has been really brutal behind home plate. In fact, Gary Sanchez, who the Padres signed just a little bit ago, uh, he has played six games with the Padres. He's already leading their catchers in home runs this season. He's got two. So Gary Sanchez, potentially somebody that the Mariners might have to take into account when they face the Padres here coming up tomorrow. Matt Carpenter, another name that is significantly underperformed, especially considering what he did last year with the New York Yankees. So Matt Carpenter's numbers look really weird. 186 in 2020, 169 in 2021, both those years with the Cardinals. Then last year in 47 games with the New York Yankees, he hit 305 with a 727 slugging percentage, good for an 1138 OPS in 47 games with the New York Yankees. He was basically Barry Bonds in those 47 games with the Yankees, and now he is with the Padres and has reverted back to old Matt Carpenter. 
This Padres ball club, there, there are going to be opportunities for the Mariners to pick up some wins over the course of the next couple days. There really are. And, and I know that is going to be tough to hear after uh, the series that they had with the Texas Rangers. But look, it can be done. This Padres team is maybe playing worse off than the Mariners are this season. So uh, I think there is opportunity for the Mariners in this series against San Diego. Some other news around baseball. Jacob deGrom has been placed on the 60-day injury list retroactive to April 29th. He is eligible to come off of that at the end of this month. It got me wondering why the Mariners haven't placed Robbie Ray on the injured list this season. And by Major League Baseball rules, you can't place a player on the 60-day unless you are selecting someone to your roster uh, and you're full at 40 on the roster, so you can't do it until you need to. Uh, Right now, the Mariners have 40, and they can move him anytime they need to if they choose to add somebody. Uh, Evan White is a good example of that happening uh, just a couple of weeks ago, placing him on the 60-day injured list. So uh, that is why Robbie Ray right now has not been placed on the 60-day injured list because they just don't have anybody else to add to the 40-man roster at this point. When that happens, if that happens, I would say when that happens because – uh, knowing Jerry Depoto, he's not one to kind of sit around and, and just have the same roster for you know a few days in a row. Uh, that could be a place where the Mariners look to to add a spot on the 40-man roster. Wild stat I saw today, Jay Kuda, who has been tweeting out some crazy, crazy stats, graphics all season long. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Jay Kuda, C-U-D-A. He tweeted a graphic today of teams whose left-handed hitters have hit a home run against left-handed pitching in the last two seasons. The only team who has not had a lefty hit a home run off left-handed pitching in that time frame is the Chicago White Sox. And the last White Sox to do it was a fellow by the name of Zach Collins who did it against Mariners lefty Nick Margavichus back on April 6th of 2021. That's a wild streak. We're, it's over two years long that the White Sox have not had a left-handed hitter hit a home run off of left-handed pitching. Bizarre. Truly, truly bizarre. I love those kinds of stats, though. I really do. I live for them. Jason Stark and Tim Kirchin, they're, they're two guys who, who live for that kind of stuff, too. And uh, I imagine they've seen that. If they haven't, somebody alert them to that, please. And finally, on this last segment here on Extra Innings, Albert Pujols is joining the league office as a special assistant to Commissioner Rob Manfred. And also, he has started doing color commentary for Peacock's Sunday baseball coverage. Always good to have the legends of the game stick around. And I would imagine Peacock very thrilled to have Albert Pujols a part of their coverage. I mean, he's one of the biggest names in baseball history. Certainly destined for the Hall of Fame. Good to see him sticking around the game of baseball in his post-playing days. I know he does have a, a role with the Angels organization. That was contractually written into his contract when he signed all those years ago uh, for the big dollar amount that he had uh, with the Angels. I think it was back in 2011, I want to say, when he signed that big contract or following the 2011 season that he had to become uh, like a special advisor with the Angels organization upon the completion of his Major League Baseball career. 
So he's doing that. He's doing uh, his his job with the commissioner's office. He's also doing Sunday Peacock games. So really cool to see Albert Pujols out and about. One of my very favorite players in all of baseball. It's somebody that was a first baseman in middle school and in high school. Uh, really enjoyed getting to watch him play the game and, and just all that he brought to baseball with all those home runs, all 700-plus home runs that he had in his Major League Baseball career. That is going to do it for us here tonight on Extra Innings. Make sure you are tuning in tomorrow for the start of this two-game series between the Mariners and San Diego Padres. Two games that the Mariners got to have. They really got to have it. And also, make sure you are tuning in to Seattle Sports tomorrow as well. From 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., Michael Bumpus and myself take you through the dugout. We'll be joined by Mariners third base coach Manny Acta. Aaron Goldsmith will stop by at 1.30. Shane Andrea at 1.45. That airs from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. every single Tuesday on Seattle Sports. That is going to do it for myself here tonight. I'm Curtis Rogers. Big thanks to Mike Lefko. Big thanks to Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLB Pipeline for stopping by. If you miss any any hour of any edition of Extra Innings, the Seattle Sports app and seattlesports.com is the place to be. Really appreciate all you for tuning in tonight here on this Monday. We'll be back with you again coming up in a little bit. It'll be a while before I'm back. I'm actually, this is my final show, uh, final Extra Innings, I should say, pr- before going on parental leave. My wife and I will be welcoming me in our second child uh, on Wednesday of this week. So really, uh, you know, I bid you adieu for the time being, but in my place we'll have some great Mariners coverage anyway. So that is where I will be going. Uh, won't be hosting Extra Innings for about a month or so, but when I return, uh, don't worry, Extra Innings not going anywhere. Uh, but that's going to do it for us tonight. You are listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.